0: step for me was to really understand who am I in this world like who am I truly without all of the the, the masks or the 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 programming that society um, kind of embeds in in us uh, since we we're young um, and I found that finding the space uh, a quiet space and alone time to be critical to understanding what is coming from within versus being uh, pushed on me from the external world.
1: I'm Julie Clare, and this is the podcast Creative at the Wheel. Artists and creative professionals thrive in unconventionality. They reinvent themselves and find their way through impossible situations. Here, we get to have deep dive conversations on their adventures. Let's jump in. My guest today is Jess Fan. Jess is a systems change consultant, a design strategist, entrepreneur, writer, and artist, and she lives in Toronto, Canada. As a systems change consultant at Rios Partners, Jess is currently engaged in projects related to higher education, climate change, equity, economic development and includes the Emergency Aid Lab, which addresses barriers to student success around the United States. Very exciting project. Passionate about bringing down cultural barriers, she previously co-founded Penyo Pal and SnapLingo, technology companies that have delivered language education to over 1 million users. She began her career designing digital and service experiences at Google and Adaptive Path. And she's worked with teams in Beijing, San Francisco, and Toronto. Also, Jess has uh, immersed herself in topics spanning personal growth, philosophy, spiritually, spirituality, systems thinking, human-centered design, and innovation. She processes new insights and ideas through her writing and her art. Jess is a proud introvert, multi-potentialite, and second-generation Chinese-Canadian. Welcome to the call, Jess Van.
0: Thank you, Julie. I'm so honored and happy to be here. Well, I can't wait. There's so much
1: for us to talk about. I wanted to start, you have such a wide range of pursuits at, a, at such an interesting level in my eyes. I wanted to start by finding out who you were as a kid. When, um, what, was your, what were your childhood experiences, if you had any, of being creative or being encouraged to be creative or draw outside the lines?
0: Hmm. <laughs> Great question. I, I love starting here because it's kind of forcing me to go all the way back Uh, to my roots. Um, Yeah, well, I grew up uh, as an only child and I had parents that were really supportive of um, me just finding my own space and my own way to express myself. Um, Very lucky that they sent me to art class very early on. I think my first art class was probably when I was five or six. Um, same thing with with piano. Um, and so I think those gave me a a pretty strong foundation and, and space to explore those ways of expression.
1: What did you what do you what did do you remember anything about starting to take piano as a kid, being that young five, six? I took piano as a kid, and I'm just curious what you remember from that experience.
0: Yeah, well, I I remember it being rather painful. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there, there are parts that I really enjoyed about it, but um, I, I say that it was a strong foundation, but it, I, I feel like the way I was taught um, piano especially, it was very structured. Um, there was a set way of, of playing, of performing certain only certain pieces that you could um, learn. And uh, I, I got very good at the technical part of playing piano. Um, but it wasn't until much, much later that I was able to kind of find my own voice through music. Um, but I, I think it gave me the strong technical foundation to be able to really, really play um, and with different styles and, and um I understand I understand what you mean by
1: foundation, because uh, I never really excelled at piano. I didn't take it that far, but it gave me some kind of confidence where something about being able to sit down at that big instrument and play, uh, not everybody could do that. There was also as a kid, there was a kind, con- did you feel like it built confidence a little
0: bit? It built confidence? Yeah, I, I think so. I, I think it yeah. gave, yeah, like a very clear way of leveling up <laughs> technically um, and uh, having having guidance and mentorship and uh, kind of a peer peer competition was really helpful yeah. in, in building that for sure.
1: And what is there,
0: I mean, it's a big question,
1: but I'm curious what your sense of what it was like. Did you grow up in Toronto?
0: I grew up in Alberta. I was born in Edmonton and grew up in Calgary. Wow. Okay. And
1: is there anything that you think about often or that you'd love to share, but what it, what was it like to be a second generation Chinese Canadian um, who's being introduced to art at a young age, being brought up in Alberta? You said. Mm-hmm. And what is there? Anything you can speak to about that? I'd love to hear something about that.
0: Oh yeah, I actually feel very fortunate to have parents um, who are from China. They they moved to Canada in the mid '80s, um, and I was born in Canada, but I grew up with a very strong sense of my Chinese heritage. Um, they made sure that I learned the language, that I understood the the stories and the history of, of where they came from. And so I always felt like I had a foot in both worlds and that I really um, could could kind of experience the best of both worlds, the East and the West. and I think just being exposed to one other culture aside from uh, the Canadian culture Mm -hmm. and and way of life really helped me be open to many other cultures and and ways of life, which, um, yeah, I think has helped me be a much more empathetic person and be more open to, I guess, taking in other perspectives.
1: Was it... um is it, is it a strength that you have in your pocket, this openness, this ability to be kind of bigger in that way, to really be immersed in two cultures? Um, or is it more of a struggle on, on some level? Or it seems, it sounds like it's more of a strength or a gift.
0: I definitely see it as a, a gift. There are definitely times when I feel confused <laughs> mm-hmm. about um, which, because I think different cultures have different values. And so... Uh, sometimes those values uh, contradict each other. Um, for example, in the East, uh, being very family oriented and, and having a collectivist mindset is a very important. Um, and in the West, I think it's much more of an individualist um, mindset, kind of uh, chart, chart your own path, <laughs> go out and explore, be innovative. Um, and so sometimes I, I find that both, having both, uh, is very, is very generative. Um, but sometimes it it can be very confusing as well, which, which, which thing to pick over the other.
1: Yeah. How, How did you, what was it like, um, picking or knowing what you were interested in? Was it, were you, did you kind of know what you liked when you were growing up and as you got older and, and went to school, um, you know, beyond high school, was it something like you kind of knew what you liked, or is it is it been a very windy path?
0: Very windy, yes.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> um growing up, I I loved everything. I, I I was extremely curious, and I still am. And I just had the sense that everything was connected. Um, the sciences, um, the arts. Um, I, I really I, I did a class project in elementary on Leonardo da Vinci and he really his story really resonated with me because as a as a renaissance man like he he went and researched everything uh he he did see the connections um and so when i had to choose what i wanted to study in in university this was really difficult because essentially i was deciding between art school or engineering (laughs) two very different Mm -hmm. disciplines and it broke my heart to have to choose one because um, I, I I really um, enjoyed uh, exploring my left side and my right side of the brain. How did you make the decision? How did that go? Um, I, I did feel like I, I had to just pick one. So I decided on engineering. Um, my rationale was uh, that yeah, I, I feel... Um, that I really want to make uh, an impact on society. And at the time I thought that maybe studying something like biomedical engineering would help me achieve that um, more directly through working on stem cell research and and growing organs at at scale. Uh, So I decided to give that a try first. Um, But very quickly I realized that Engineering wasn't where my heart was, uh, and eventually found that there was this whole field called design, which is a perfect blend of both the creative and the problem solving um, in service of creating uh, you know strong social impact in the world. And so eventually found my way there. It took a while, but I found yeah, it. there. You, how did you
1: get there? How did you get from... Was that a breakdown, engineering to design? Or you were used to exploring many different things uh, already? So it was, you know, I'm sure it wasn't easy, but um, what was that like to find design? And how, long, how long did you stay in with the engineering?
0: I was really stubborn. So I, I stuck with engineering for two years, so half of my degree. But I remember even within the first week in those classes, I, I I knew something was off that there was a really strong sense that like, I'm I'm not supposed to be here or this isn't the place for me. Um, but I was also a very um, ambitious and like a kind of straight A student type A kind of person. And I, I felt like, okay, maybe if I stick stick through this, um, it'll get better. (laughs) Um, that, you know, maybe I'm just complaining too much and, and, you know, it's just that engineering is hard. And once I get past that, I'll, I'll like it. But I realized it was a much deeper reason that I I felt that that wasn't the place for me. And what helped Mm -hmm. you, I'm curious, just what helped you get a sense that it was a much deeper reason
1: that kind of consciousness already? Was that there as a 20 year old? Did you have counseling or how did you tra- track that?
0: Mm, it was a physical feeling. Like I, I felt it build up over over time. Um, just my my body. It was ha- kind of having just a physical reaction to uh, going to class. Like I felt lethargic. I felt weak. I felt like my heart wasn't in it. Um, and I I felt that I was just very naturally drawn to anything that wasn't engineering. (laughs) Like my attention was being pulled in other directions and I found myself um, looking into other disciplines, other paths more than I was actually studying my classwork. Uh, So that was a pretty strong sign. And also on my way to engineering class from res, uh, there was this building that on the outside, it said industrial design. And I saw that, I'm like, what is that? (laughs) What is this industrial design discipline I've never heard about. Um, And that was my first um, realization that, you know, that design existed. And I was like, truthfully kind of annoyed that nobody (laughs) ever (laughs) told me that that was a a possible career path. Um, And yeah, it just went deeper into that rabbit hole until I found my way into user experience design. Oh,
1: okay. So two years in engineering, right? Mm -hmm. And you, on your way to class, you pass an industrial design building. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay. Now that's, to me, that's very fun. Cause when I think of serendipity or when I think of, you know, all the different campuses you could be on, you're on one with an industrial design building. What, what school did you go to? I went to the university of Alberta. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. So industrial design, do you remember your first class in something in that direction?
0: Mm-hmm, um, so I, I I did a lot of exploration into the different types of design once I realized that that was a whole field. Um, and I, I dipped my toes into it. I took some art classes. I, I did go into one design class to, to try it out during um, engineering. And, uh, but eventually realized I wanted to do uh, something that bridged the gap between technology and 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 people the, the people using the technology, and so after two years in engineering, I finally made the leap into uh, the the interaction design program at Simon Fraser University in Vancouver. So I left everything behind, all my friends, um, this and this like well known path that would lead me towards something very predictable uh, into this area that was very new. Uh, at that time not many people had ever heard of interaction design or user experience design uh, and, and no one in my family or, or social circles were in in that world. So it was uh, it, it felt very scary to me to just leap into the unknown um, but I was really really happy that I did it. Mm, You were happy while you were doing
1: it or it was, it was the gulp moment. And then once you got there, you knew you were in the right place. I'm curious about that (laughs) shift. Yeah.
0: Um, Yes. I'm really happy now that I did it, but at that time, for sure, it was extremely scary. I, I had a lot of anxiety about it. I actually had some uh, major regrets as soon as I (laughs) uh, realized I had made the switch. Um, Even for that first year in that design program, I was really, really doubting my decision. And there were many times when I felt that I, I had made a mistake, that I, I should turn back and go, and go, mm. go um, you know, fly back to, to Alberta. Um, but I was really lucky at, at that point, um, my parents who previously were telling me, you know, you're crazy, like you should just finish your degree uh, and, and then and then do whatever you want. Um, well, they saw how, how happy I was when I told them I wanted to, to switch into this, this new field. And so when I was having doubts after I made the switch, they're like, nope, this is for you. <laughs> you got to stick with it. It might sound scary, but like we have full confidence that you will, you will do well in there. So, okay,
1: Jess, I swear I have tears in my eyes. Oh, um, that kind of backup. Yeah. Cause we doubt, right? And I think the, when we're going into these unknown paths, the life of the creative, whether it's in business or in the studio, you know, we're going off the track that probably we were on. Uh, and I think that happens many times in our lives and to have people around us that say, no, no, we saw it. We know it. You got to keep going. Mm. Uh, so I love, I'm so glad I heard about that. And how long ago was that? How long ago was that you were in uh, design school?
0: design school, that was, uh, I think I graduated in 2012. hmm Yeah. It's almost 10 years
1: ago. Yeah, almost 10 years. So who you are now, uh, what's your sense of the role of this, uh, the kind of design that you picked in terms of what you're doing now? I'd love to hear, what do you, how would you describe your involvement with work now, um, yeah, I guess as a consultant, but how,
0: how would you? Mm. Yeah. I, I feel that that design thinking foundation has been so valuable in, in the work that I do now. So design to me, the heart of design is um, empathy and Mm -hmm. critical thinking and openness uh, a lot of people uh, see design as a certain process or methodology, but at its heart, it's really like living the values of empathy, openness, and, and critical thinking, uh, and being being able to um, to pivot and to to shift as you learn new things. And that is the the principle of the work that I they do with Rios Partners and with our clients.
1: Yeah, can you talk a little bit about that? What you're doing right now, especially with the
0: um, what is it, the emergency lab? Mm-hmm. The emergency aid lab. Yeah, yeah that was emergency that. Aid that lab. was a project um, that I I was a part of for almost three years, and it was funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Um, and our program officer there um, came to our team with the question of, you know, it's it's been over 30 years that, that the, the higher education field has known that providing emergency aid to, to students um, really is, is uh, helpful to keeping them in, in school, uh, to preventing them from uh, dropping out when they, when they have a financial emergency. And these financial emergencies often only take you know, a couple hundred dollars to address. It might be that a student has an unexpected medical bill or um, their car breaks down, That like their only way to, to get to school and to work to pay for school. And um, they don't need much, but just because of that, that shortfall, that shortfall in you know, a couple hundred dollars of cash, um, they might have to leave. And and not be able to pay their tuition and, and drop out of class, so a lot of colleges and universities in the United States um, and in Canada and other places, about our focus with the U.S. they do have resources for these students, but um, it's all done very ad hoc and informally. And um, our 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 question was: How do we support? Institutions to have a more formal and effective emergency aid program that coordinates staff and faculty from across the campus to deliver emergency aid in a timely way um, to to students. So, just there, what is it you feel like you
1: you brought to that process? What what in you was used in that process? Like, mm. was it your innovative, you know? tendencies? Was it your your vision? Was it your detail work? Was it your, what, what would you say you brought to that?
0: Maybe a bit of everything. Yeah, <laughs> And my team members brought a lot as well. I, I think that um, we all came, we all come from very different backgrounds, but we all very much uh, approach things from a very systemic lens and the collaborative lens. So for me personally, I, I brought my background in human centered design. And we we knew uh, since the beginning that this whole process really ha- had to be student centric to be successful. So in the the tools and methods that um, I introduced and made sure that there are, are participants of this lab um, always had a strong sense of who their students were, that they wanted to be um, serving through emergency aid programs, um, made sure that they knew these students' stories, their their specific context, their needs, understand that there are many different kinds of students with many different needs, and that the services they were designing had to accommodate for those things um, in order for um, this to be an exceptional experience for for the students. You know, I
1: did an interview with a woman, um, on human centered design. And so I know it's really fun to hear you speak because that's exactly what we're speaking to. Uh, so I get it, right. You have this background in human centered design. I really hear the empathy piece. I really hear the connecting to people piece. Um, and then also the systemic view. Um, that's what really gets me with you. I really feel like you look at systems, um, What's your sense of being an introvert and having this kind of? How does it affect how you come to work or how you show up? Mm. Does it have, Yeah. How do you experience that?
0: Yeah, uh, my my relationship to int- my introversion has definitely evolved over time. As as a as younger person, um, as a child, I I thought that I was wrong in terms of how I was existing in this world. Because I, I saw all these um, friends or other other classmates being very extroverted and very naturally extroverted and kind of being celebrated for that extroversion. Um, and so I, I always felt like, oh, like my inability to speak up quickly and respond to things quickly um, was, was not something to be very proud of. Um, And when I did learn that introversion and extroversion, this was a thing, like these are kind of two buckets uh, and understood the strengths of being an introvert. I I started to really start to value my authentic self um, and uh, lean into those strengths more. And as an introvert, I feel that I sense the world in a, in a deeper way, or I take my time to really soak in all the things around me and what people are saying, how they're saying it, um, the the different connections between things. And uh, it does take me longer to process and maybe longer to articulate what exactly I am noticing and what meaning I'm making of it. But I, I find that there is a lot of value to uh, to that, and to to share that with others.
1: How and, and, and when I when I listen to you, I, I get the sense of alignment, or that you are tuning in. So even that, what you just spoke about, those qualities. What what is your relationship to the need to be authentic, or to be um, really bringing who you are to work? How would you speak to that? What what is that like for you right now in your in your career in your life?
0: Mm value
1: of being authentic value being authentic and maybe how it impacts how you choose what jobs to you know projects to work on um, maybe even how mm. it might affect you in terms of how you schedule your life like I don't know because I, I do want to talk about all the art that you do and I want to get this sense of how you bring that into work with you now um, in terms of how like in other words, how you shape your life how how is that conversation about how to be connected with yourself shaping your life right now at work.
0: Mm. <laughs> yes, the path to my authentic self that's been a, a fun ride as well. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I I guess I'll, I'll take a step back and yeah, just please. reflect on yeah. how that path started. Um, I think that kind of relates to your your question about um, growing up as an introvert. Uh, or being an introvert uh, and becoming more comfortable and embracing that, mm, I think the first step for me was to really understand who am I in this world? Like, who am I truly, without all of the the, the masks or the 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 programming that society um, kind of embeds in in us uh, since we we're young, and you know, all the messaging that we get from social media, like. Who, who, what, what of those messaging uh, does relate to who I am, and and what isn't? Um, and I found that finding the space, uh, a quiet space and alone time, to be critical to understanding what is coming from within versus being uh, pushed on me from the external world. So.
1: I've, how did that mm-hmm. show up? How did your realization you know realization of the power of that quiet time did that show up on your own? Did you were you looking for something and you found uh, an experience like meditation, or how, mm-hmm. how did that start coming into your life? That that awareness that the quiet time was key in connection.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I was in a world that really valued hustling (laughs) and uh, being super goal-driven and, you know, where, where, you know, you're always looking for, um, I guess, ways to, to have your reputation uh, strengthened. And I was realizing that in that world, I was, feeling quite unhappy or I was feeling a lot of anxiety or just something wasn't in alignment. And that as, as, a, as a curious person and someone who is just constantly driven to find ways to problem solve <laughs> and, and be better. Like I, I had this inner voice saying like this this, there's something that's not quite right here. There's like a, there's a better way of existing. And so I just naturally started to seek wiser people <laughs> um older more experienced uh, others who i i would ask uh, like how how are you navigating all of these things um like do you have any advice for me and you know, through those conversations and uh, meeting some really generous souls um i was introduced to to books and podcasts and and this um, you know tool of meditation. So someone suggested that I look into that. <laughs> so that was kind of my my toe dipping moment uh, when I downloaded Headspace and did the 10-day free trial. Um, that led me into deepening my meditation practice. Um, and so that really gave me some some quiet time and some space and uh, the practice of being comfortable with sitting with myself, not needing all this external stimuli, other people around, to feel like I should be here, that I am worth something.
1: Wow! And these—I've got t- tons of questions here. But these people that you met, were they acquaintances of acquaintances? Were they in classes? Were they uh, teachers? Were do you, you know, some of these wise people that you kind of came into? Was it? Who were some of these people? Just in terms of who they were to you.
0: Mm. Yeah, some some of them I I met through uh, yeah introductions uh, from others. I I think once I had the intention of of growing and learning from others, and I put that intention out. Um, for some reason, I I found the right people, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and I I don't think it was ever a, a clear question in my mind that yes, I am looking for experienced wise people to. To teach me about spirituality and how to find my authentic self. <laughs> but <laughs> even just having the question of, hey, like I, I, I know that there is a, a, a better way of showing up in this world. I, I wonder uh, who can I, can I talk to, to get some mm-hmm. advice or, or just to even hear their own story? Like um, kind of just asking that um, led me to the right people. And then or even if maybe the first person that I talked to didn't quite have the the you know that experience, they would be very open to connecting me with others, um, saying, "Hey, you you really should talk to this person. Um, they seem to maybe have a similar energy <laughs> as you, or they seem to have something that they could share with you." That was probably at the back of their mind <laughs> as we were talking. Um, so yeah, it was a very organic uh,
1: exploration. Yeah. And meanwhile, you were doing this, you were still at work, right? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So you've always been able to have outside pursuits beyond the project you were working on. Is that a fair statement? <laughs> I feel like I'm in a court of law. Is that a fair statement?
0: <laughs> yeah, yes, that's true. I, I feel like I've, um, you know, I've, I've had work stuff that I poured a lot of my heart and soul into. Um, but sometimes work doesn't, Fill all the buckets, and I've always found found myself naturally working on other projects that um, fill other needs. Oh, I got mm
1: -hmm. okay. So I want to hear more about the meditation, but I've got to hear some of those other projects that are filling those other needs for you right now because I I find the whole the breadth here of your experience in life to be very inspiring to a lot of us who you know, have this tension between how do I get enough of my life back so I can do these, you know, art projects or explorations, but how do I make a living kind of thing? And it, it does seem like you are working that out here. Um mm-hmm. can you share? What are some of your other projects that you are now, you've kind of pretty fully involved with uh, at the same time as working?
0: Yeah, I'm happy to share. Um, yeah. uh, and a lot of these side things or things outside of work, like these are things that I just naturally find myself doing. Um, for example, I I really value the the friend circles that I have. And I am just so fortunate to have so many amazing people that I know that have just found their way into my life and have brought so much color and inspiration to me. Um, and some of them are artists, some of them are um, musicians, scientists, uh or like kind of public communicators. Um, and I, I love having one-on-ones with them to kind of understand what are the new things that they're doing, the new projects that they're working on or things that they're learning. And I, I at one point I was like, wait, like I know all these really amazing, smart people. Wouldn't it be great if they actually knew each other? <laughs> and so um, I... I uh, organized a gathering called Learning Night and and Learning Night actually other I kind of stole the idea from from some other people um, but I kind of I organized my own local version of it and I uh, saw that as a, a, a space to bring in all of these incredible people together to share what they're learning. So it's not just to me, but with each other. Um, And to me, it was a way to also build more resilience and strengthen the community that's around me already. Um, And yeah, have more (laughs) cross-pollination of inspiration. Mm. And that was just like a really natural thing that I, I found a lot of joy in doing. And Learning Night eventually became a, it's, like its own thing almost. Uh, I had other co-organizers. Um, eventually I stopped organizing it, but other people took it on. And um, even though we went on hiatus for uh, like I think a year, <laughs> um, I w- kept meeting people who, were, who had met each other through the community um, without the need for those events. Um, so it was very, it was, it was a really beautiful thing and it's, it's still continuing in, in different forms now. And what about your um, own artwork?
1: What about your drawing and your music? How is that living in you right now?
0: Mm, Yeah. So we we started this podcast talking about how I, I, you know, I took, I had art lessons and music lessons as a, as a child, but it was kind of a very structured way of, of learning it um, very rigid. Um, So I lost touch with both art and music for a long time. I think I was very focused on the startup thing, <laughs> um, kind of all these external things around me. Um, and when I did find this void or I realized that there was like a, a, a void inside, like something that I just wasn't nurturing, um, I realized that art and music was a way to fill that. Uh, so I I had... Um, Separated from a partner who I'd been with for many years and that really kind of rocked my world. <laughs> it, it it shifted a lot of things for me and suddenly I, I found that I had all of these emotions that I uh, wasn't processing very well just in my head and I just felt this need to just get it out on paper And I just grabbed a blank sheet that I had next to me and this Sharpie marker and just started like scribbling all over it. (laughs) So it kind of felt like channeling all of this negative energy and these negative thoughts and emotions out onto this canvas where I could actually see it and acknowledge it. And that was the first time I had ever used art in that way. Um, Jess, did you save that piece of paper? (laughs) Not that first one, but I have many others that, that I. That what I did do you do keep. with the first one? Um, I think I, I put it aside and yeah. uh, kind of in a drawer somewhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Probably okay. got thrown out. But but like I think the the day after I when I realized that this this is like therapy. This is art therapy. I didn't know what art therapy was, but then at that point I, I finally got it. Like, oh, this is what real artists. Do. <laughs> this is this is there's a th- like. Uh, let me, let me backtrack. I think my original relationship with art was much more perf- like seeing it as a a way to perform for others. Mm-hmm. Like drawing this thing was a way to uh, kind of show off my skills to other people. That's what I have used art for when I was a kid. Um, so it was externally driven and now I'm really seeing art as a tool for myself to get to understand what is happening inside me. What am I feeling? Uh, what are the I, I that the ideas I have flowing through me that that um, that are kind of evolving and and want to emerge? I, I I use art as a way to process all of those things and to to make it visible to myself. And I'm finding that. In, in this way, art is far more powerful. It's so
1: beautiful. Um, I remember the first piece that I did when I was kind of, I would say, despair as a 20-year-old, and I cut out construction pieces of paper and sitting on the floor of a room in Washington, D.C. as I was an intern. <laughs> I just hated it. And I just asked you about your first piece, because um, I saved my pieces for so long, but they got so faded and so decrepit, I finally had to let them go. And I'm just always curious what people Mm -hmm. do with those. They're kind of like miracles. Don't you think that first page was a bit of a miracle because you found it so on your own, or it was so part of the moment, Mm -hmm. the Sharpie and the paper? Mm -hmm. That's... And then when I got that, I felt it just felt like, like a need. And there it was the Sharpie and the paper. So now, wow. yes, you've got this a different, uh, this renewed relationship with art, with expression. And, um, what's your sense of sharing it with the world, sharing your art, how, what does that give you putting it out and not keeping it as therapy in your journals, mm-hmm. you know, but actually moving it through into different forms. Cause I know you've been doing, I love that cartoon you did that we were talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, how would you describe the the kind of trajectory of your art life right now?
0: Mm-hmm. I love that question um, yeah I for some reason I haven't been shy about sharing uh, sharing this art it's it comes from a very personal place but i I find that because I'm not literally drawing like people's faces <laughs> and um, anything like s- super specific. Um, like the the art that I create is is kind of in different shapes and colors and textures, which reflect my emotions. Um, and I, I use you know metaphors to describe things, but it's it it's I guess maybe general enough that I, I feel like sh- in, in sharing this out with the world, other people c- also can find things that resonate with them personally in, in that art. I also, yeah. I i
1: want to interrupt. I also hear when you started out there saying, I'm not shy sharing it. Like that's a quality. I don't, I don't feel your shyness, but I also feel a lightness and it's, it's, um, it's so delightful to be around. Um, Aww,
0: thank you. And so
1: there is this pursuit. Um, I would, would you call it a pursuit to continue this and to share it with others? Or is it more mm-hmm. the pursuit is to keep connecting? Obviously, they're not separate, but connecting inwardly uh, is the number one pursuit. Or is it all in the same basket at this point? Because everything, you know, it's all serving that um, combined. Mm.
0: Yeah, I'm looking up at this whiteboard I have in front of me. Um, cause what it says is, um, I guess basically like three goals I have, I'm just going to read it. It's been a while since yes. I've looked at this. It says, number one, I make sense of my own learnings and can integrate them more intentionally, um, in my life. Uh, and number two, the learnings that I share can make a meaningful, um, and positive change in someone else's life and number 3 i am able to connect with others in in a meaningful way through this sharing and and um this collective learning so yeah i see art as a way to uh, fulfill all three of those goals and how when you
1: show up at work do you bring some of this with you or is it a sense of well-being from this work when you go into your um you know your design work or your consultancy work or um
0: hmm yeah. yeah, how
1: does that work in
0: there? Yeah, I, I think that it's it's exploring and really leaning into art and music helps me cultivate the pillar of self- connection. Um, and helps me know and understand myself uh, and really value myself. And as I'm able to do more of that, I can also tap more intentionally into what brings me joy and keeps me in flow. As I become more aware of that, I can bring my, uh, I, I can bring that energy into the, into my work, um, into my team, into my projects, into my community. So I do feel that cultivating my own, um, this platform of radiance—that's <laughs> how I describe it—helps um, mm-hmm. me show up better for others, whether that is for you know my social circles or um, in in the work that I do. And, and there's a there's a quote that I love um, by uh, Bill O'Brien, who's the CEO of Hanover Insurance. He's quoted quite a bit in the Systems Change World. That um, he he uh, made this this statement of the success of an intervention depends on the interior condition of the intervener. So as I interior
1: condition of the intervener. Mm -hmm. Oh, please. Yeah. Expound.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I think other wise people have said similar things in different ways. Um, Like be the change uh, you wish to see in the world. And I'm realizing through my own experience, how, how true that is. Like if I am not connected with myself and able to see the world without filters, and if, if I'm able to keep myself out of pits of of suffering that cloud my judgment and cloud my ability to connect with others, I am not able to create meaningful, positive change. I might actually create harm. And so it is really important to start with myself and, uh, and, and, and bring that uh, into the things I do externally.
1: That's so beautiful. Uh, I know part of the systems or human centered design is uh, cultivating, we only have a few more minutes, but I really want to ask you this, uh, cultivating a way of approaching work without necessarily having to solve or fix as the primary motivator. Um, Would you say this ability to connect with yourself and flow helps you show up in that way of not having to go immediately to solutions?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Hmm. I'm trying to think how to best respond to that.
1: And I'm even going to throw in the idea of how does that affect how we envision the future for the companies that you're working with, the organizations and yourself, if if we're not... um, necessarily trying to fix something, but we're trying to reimagine or, um, how would you speak to that?
0: Yeah. Um, so I think for me, I, I have to continue to remind myself that I, I can only control myself. (laughs) I cannot control other people or I cannot make the world, uh, into something that I, I think it needs to, turn into. Um, I, yeah, I, I think a lot of the, the forcing change is, comes from the sense of being, being attached to the way, to the way you think things should be. In, in my work with Rio's partners and what I'm trying to continue cultivating myself is to be able to kind of create spaces um, to allow what wants to emerge to emerge, to to work towards removing the barriers that are preventing um, the change that wants to happen to happen. Um, it's not about mm, forcing a particular thing onto others, but listening and really deeply sensing what what does this system actually want to become naturally and what is in the way of allowing what is in the way of that system from from achieving that mm. are there are there structures are there processes are there mental models or narratives that are preventing that that shift that wants to happen to happen <laughs> and and how can we collectively see that and acknowledge that and understand that and and uh, remove those barriers to allow things to flow the way it wants to flow
1: wow isn't that a great way to approach life and situations right now when so many systems are are kind of falling down mm-hmm. <laughs> and needing to reform um uh, jess uh, we could talk about so much i i'm going to end here Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you, Julie. Well, that's today's podcast of Creative at the Wheel. Before we go, I want to thank you for listening, and I invite you to tune in again. You can listen to more of these interviews on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Ghana, or my website. You can also learn more about my one-on-one coaching for creatives on my website, paintbiglivebig.com.